praises to God with all of you and celebrate our wonderful God. He is good, is He not? He is good, is He not? Yes, He is. Well, food is a necessity in our lives. You can only go a certain amount of time without food. And many of us have worked into our vocabulary phrases like, I'm starving. Or, I'm going to die if I don't eat. And most of us know we're not literally starving when we use that kind of language. And we're not going to really die if we don't eat that burger. In fact, we probably can go several more days without eating if we really thought about it. But it's kind of language we use because our stomachs tell us, I want food. We feel the hunger pains and we think, let's eat. So we, we, we have this hunger when we go too long without eating food. And this language of hunger is a language that is also appropriate for our relationship with God. And it's appropriate because just like with food, we cannot live without food in the same way we truly cannot live without God. We can only go so long without Him in our lives, without really enjoying His presence. And as I think about this church's heritage, I'm blown away by the fact that there has been men and women throughout the years who hungered for God. I think of Frederick Franson and well, that story that was read for us from, by Carrie. That he would, have the, he would hear from Hudson Taylor that they want to send out missionaries to China and think, I'm going to talk to Pastor Dernis about that because I think our church, our church should send out a, uh, a missionary. But, but not just one, we should send out two. Why, why would Frederick Francis even want that? And I don't have to look too much into it, but he recognized that the Chinese people needed Jesus. There was a hunger for God there and that these people needed that hope. I think of C.T. Dernis praying in that office thinking, if we send two missionaries, that means probably no salary for me. And if no salary for me, that means Miss Hilda won't want to marry me. And if she doesn't want to marry me, I'm going to miss out. That's a real problem. I can sympathize with C.T. Dernis. And again, the hunger for God, because when he realized he wasn't arguing with Frederick Franson, but with God, he continued to pound away. Lord, is this of you? Seek first the kingdom. God, I want to obey you. I want to step out in faith. I want to do what you want, because I want you to be exalted. That's what I hear when I hear about that account. Men and women of the past who hungered from, for God. 32 years ago this month, at Devil's Lake, Baraboo, Wisconsin, a group of Bible study friends got together on a camping trip. They've been meeting regularly. And it was thought, what should we do? We, we've been getting together, we're growing. What's the next step for our Bible study? And to the dismay, I think, of Wayne Gropp, the vote was unanimous. We should be a church. Men and women who saw the need for the Christian witness, men and women who hungered for God said, we need a church here in this community to meet the needs of the people here. And I got thinking about that. 30, 50, 75 years from now, what will be said of us? 
what will be said of us? Will people say that we hungered for God like Franson, like Dernis, like the people on that camping trip starting good news? Or will we be said to be those who sat on our talent, on our treasure? Those who let complacency grip us. Oh, how I pray that God would use us. And he's been doing so many great things here over the, many, the last few months and years. We've seen him at work here at Good News, have we not? We've seen him at work. And oh, I pray this is only the beginning of something greater. To think that we might send out missionaries from our midst who grew up here, kids who are in God's kids right now, or maybe some of you who are in high school sitting here right now, maybe you will be a missionary someday. And that we would say, you know, Lord, we don't know where the money's going to come from, but we know this is of you, and we're going to believe you for it. Or that God might raise up pastors from among us, plant churches through us. Oh, how, how joyful that would be. So my question for you today is, how hungry are you? Are you hungry for the Lord? Are you hungry? You know, in a Christian faith, there's, an, there's a bit of a paradox, a mystery. Because in God, we have found our satisfaction. We have found our peace and joy. Yet at the same time, we long for God. And we are unsatisfied because we want more. So we are satisfied on the one hand, but unsatisfied on the other. That's hunger, my brothers and sisters. I'm reminded of a prayer by A.W. Tozer. When he prays for this longing for more, he says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from the misty lowland where I have wandered for so long. Let that be our prayer. That's hunger for the Lord. What, we, what I want us to do is turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13, and we're going to see a church in Antioch who hungered for God, hungered for His will, found out God's will, and acted upon it. And how I pray that that would be what we do here at Good News Bible Church. Would you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13 as I read from verses 1 through 4 again. And as you turn there, I want to say a few things. I'm not trying to romanticize the early church as if it was a perfect church. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lie and fall dead before Peter after being confronted. Chapter 6, the Hellenistic Jewish widows felt neglected in favor of the Hebrews, and they needed to meet that need. Galatia had false teaching. Corinth had immorality. It was an imperfect church. I'm not trying to romanticize it. Although, I see a yearning for the Lord 
in the book of Acts and through the epistles. A yearning for doing what God would want. And a yearning we find in Acts chapter 13. If you recall last week, we saw how the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost in Acts 2. And he began to do a mighty work through the church. And from that point on to this passage here, we see God at work. And this is what Acts 13 verses 1 through 4 tell us. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. In a moment, what I want us to do is consider how this church longed and yearned for God and for the Spirit's leading and how they responded to His answer. But before we do that, would you pray with me as I commit this time to the Lord? Oh, Father, I pray that you would fill us with longing. Lord, I know many of us come with wounds this morning that hinder our longing for you, God. And oh, God, I pray that you, the great healer, would do a work of healing in those hearts. For others, they come thrilled in you, communing with you. And Lord, I pray that this would just be an affirmation of their walk with you, oh, Lord. And for others, I pray you would create perhaps a work that has never been before in their hearts. And use the example of this church in Antioch, God, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in verse 1, we see that there was, in a church in Antioch, <clears throat> prophets and teachers. We need a little bit of a background here on the church in Antioch. Antioch is north of Israel, quite a distance. It's in modern-day Turkey. Antioch at this time was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, second only to Rome and Alexandria. It had three-quarters of a million people there and a large Jewish population, but it was a Gentile city. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we find out that this church there in Antioch was established out of a persecution that took, took place in Acts 7. If you remember, Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7. He was the first one in the Christian church to be killed for his faith. And then a persecution broke out, we're told. And many of the, the believers there in Jerusalem said, we can't stay here any longer, our lives are in danger. They fled. And we find out in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, they fled as far as Antioch. And it tells us that along the way, they were sharing the gospel with the Jewish people, saying, Jesus is your Messiah. He died, He conquered death, He rose from the dead, ascended in heaven, you can have life in Him. He is your Messiah. But then others came to Antioch and said, this is great, but let's not just preach to the Jews. Let's, let's preach to the Gentiles too. And God established the first church in a Gentile land there in Antioch. Now look in Acts chapter 11 with me. I want to read a, a, a verse here for you. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. 
So again, rephrasing, there's a, re- there's a revival work that's taking place in Antioch. People are coming to know Jesus and they're not Jewish. They're Greeks, Greek speakers. And verse 22 says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas is a great choice. His name means the son of encouragement. Barnabas actually isn't his real name. His name is Joseph. We find it in, in Acts 4. But he was so known to be a man of encouragement, they said, let's send him to Antioch and tell us if this is really God at work. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Here we see Barnabas shows up and said, this is real. God is doing a work here among the Gentiles. And then he's thinking, I've got a lot of work to do. These are new believers. I need help. And then in verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for a guy named Saul. This is Saul who would get the name Paul. He was a man who knew God, knew the word, and come to know Jesus. And Barnabas is, like, Barnabas is thinking, I need him to help me here in Antioch. And when they found him, verse 26, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And then this phrase, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We call ourselves Christians this day because of Antioch, the first Gentile church. And we here, in the same way, a Gentile church, for the most part, call ourselves Christians. So back to Acts chapter 13. When it says there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, we realize Antioch was a solid church. A church that, that crossed cultural lines. A church that was passionate to exalt Jesus among Jew and Gentile alike. And they had prophets and teachers. A prophet was one who told the word of the Lord as God revealed it to them. Usually through forms of encouragement and exhortation. Teachers were those who taught the doctrine, the truth of God's word. And it says there were prophets and teachers and it lists five people. Barnabas being the first one who I already introduced to you. The second being Lucius of Cyrus. Uh, I'm sorry, Simeon who's called Niger. The word Niger means black in Latin. One of the leaders in the church of Antioch was of African descent. He was an African. Simeon was an African. And then we have Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in modern day Libya, which means he was a North African. Then we have Menaean, a member of the, of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. Now this phrase, a member of the court, is in the ESV, but most of your Bibles might say, who grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Because this word in the Greek tells us that Menaean was one who was raised with Herod. Herod was one who had political and royal status. Menaean was a guy of royal and political background. And here he is, a leader in the church. And then we have Saul, who we all know to be Paul. This is a diverse group of leadership. They have a North African, one who's African by descent, Saul who's from Tarsus, which is in Turkey, and they have Barnabas who's from Jerusalem. Leaders, and a Menaean who's of, of a royal political background. A diverse leadership who had a like-minded desire. 
Here we see their hunger for God in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. While they are worshiping the Lord and fasting. The word worshiping here is not the normal word we had for worshiping, but it's one that's used frequently with reference to what the priests did in the temple. And I get this sense that perhaps in, in a subtle way, Luke, who, write, who wrote the book of Acts, is, telling, is reminding us that these here are worshiping the Lord as, they, as a priest would worship the Lord. If you recall, when Jesus was crucified, the veil of the temple was torn. And how we hold precious to us the thing that we can come straight to God. We can come before His presence like a priest. And they came before Him worshiping the Lord. And it says they were fasting. Now throughout the Bible, fasting is abstaining from food for a godly purpose. Fasting is abstaining from food for a godly purpose. And this group of leaders were worshiping and fasting to the Lord. See, fasting and worshiping, it's, it's a way of saying, God, we need you to intervene right now with what we're coming to you with. God, we want to draw nearer to you. Lord, we hunger for you and we want you to lead us because we want to do your will. What in particular, though, were they praying about? Well, we're not told exactly, but we're told what the answer to their prayer is, which probably gives us light into what they prayed. You see in verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then continue on in, in chapter 13 is the first missionary journey. The very first missionaries were sent out of Antioch to go into the Gentile world. So what were they praying about in this prayer meeting? What were they fasting about? I get the sense they're asking things like this. God, we're here in Antioch. We're a Gentile church. You're doing a work. What's next for us? Are we to continue this witness in Antioch? Are we to extend it to others throughout Asia? Are we to go to Greece? Who's supposed to go for us? How are we going to fund it? What will we do? We want to continue to advance your kingdom, Lord. How will you use us here in Antioch? That's the sense I get that they're praying for. Because they're hungering for God and they're hungering to be led by Him. Then the Holy Spirit responds to their hungry prayers. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The The phrase, while they were worshiping, is actually one word in Greek. And it's a present active participle, which means nothing to most of us here except for all you grammar buffs. And when I say except, I mean E-X-C-E-P-T. What this word means is that the Holy Spirit spoke to them while, while they're in the process of worshiping and fasting. They were worshiping and fasting, and in that time, the Spirit spoke to them. How did the Spirit speak? We don't know exactly, but we do know that there's prophets in their midst, so it's likely that the Spirit told somebody who was a prophet to share these words. So the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now we're, we're in the middle of a series right now on the Holy Spirit. And I want to point out these two things here. Notice how it says the Holy Spirit said. 
set apart for me. That's a first person personal pronoun. Inanimate objects don't speak and nor do they refer to themselves as me. The Holy Spirit is not a force to be channeled. He's not some mystical ghost or spirit that, that has no personhood. He is God Almighty. He is to be worshipped. He is to be praised. And He speaks to, his, to, to, to the church because He dwells us who know Jesus. So they're not trying to channel Him here. They're not trying to twist His arm saying, the harder I fast, I can coerce the Spirit to do what we're asking. But they're pleading, God, show us what's next. We want what you want. And the Spirit sees that as fertile ground to work. And He says, set apart for me. Remove from your congregation. Set them away. Pull them out. Two people. Two of your leaders. I've got to work for them. And it's a kingdom advancing work. It is a Christ exalting work. When Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, you will receive power to be my witnesses. It is for this purpose to exalt Christ. If you remember, Jesus said in John 16, 14, that the Spirit will glorify me. And that's what the Spirit wants to do. But guess what? He's going to use you and me to do that. And here he had a specific plan for Barnabas and Saul. How fitting it is that the first Gentile church would be the first missions sending church. And we see in verse 3 that there was no hesitancy on their part. Because when they were praying, they weren't praying an empty prayer. They prayed with the intention of, God, whatever you tell us, we're going to do this. This isn't like a hypothetical thing we're saying here, God. We're praying with expectancy, with the intention to act upon your answer. Because in verse 3, Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We don't know how much time elapsed here, but we do know that they heard what the instruction was, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, they didn't know where. The Spirit didn't say, I've got to send them to a certain place. Maybe much like what God did with Abraham. Pack up your bags and go. Where? Go. Set apart Barnabas and Saul. All right, we're doing that. But it says that they fasted and prayed some more. Probably saying, all right, God, they're apart. They're set apart. Where next? Well, the church finds out. They lay their hands on them. And in verse 3 says, they sent them off. But then in verse 4 it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. It's like, well, is the church sending them out or is the Holy Spirit sending them out? And the answer is yes. See, the Spirit of God wants to work through His church to accomplish His purposes. And the Spirit worked through Antioch to send them out. Where? Well, he stopped by Seleucia, which is a coastal city on the mainland. They got on a boat and hyped, hopped over to Cyprus, an island, and began the first missionary journey, journey in Barnabas' hometown. Wow. We see here in Antioch a yearning for God, a yearning to know His will, and a readiness to act upon it. So I ask, 
What does that mean for us? Well, earlier I mentioned, what will be said of us 30, 50, and 75 years from now? And it's my prayer that we would be much like Antioch. That God would create within us where there is no hunger for Him. That maybe God would revive among us where there once was a hunger but no longer is. And if some of you come in saying, no, I'm hungering for God. I'm seeking Him. I pray that God would maintain and sustain your hunger. That we say, God, I want to know your will for me and for this church. We want to pursue hard after you. God, we want to set aside the distractions and cling to you. And there's a very real question here. What do I do when I don't hunger for God? And some of you might be asking that. I hear what you're saying. I feel it. I feel what you're saying, but it's not there for me. It's not there for me right now. And the place to begin is where they began it's with prayer. Again, A.W. Tozer has this prayer that I find to be a special prayer that will meet, you, meet us where we're at. He says this, Father, I want to know Thee, but my cowardly heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding. And I do not try to hide from Thee the terror of the parting. I come trembling but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I've cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that thou may enter and dwell there without a rival. And oh God, that God would be the center of our hearts and there would be no rival. And many of us have rivals right now that inhibit our hunger for Him. And let today be the day where you put that down and say, God, no, I'm not going to let these things compete with you any longer. I want to yearn after you. And I want what you want from my life, not what I have created for my life. 30, 60 years, 75 years from now, what will they say of us? Will they say that we hungered, that we believed, that we're men and women of faith, that we sought God's will. There's so much to see God's will about, is there not? God, are you calling me to the mission field? Some of you might be asking that question even today. You, you, you may be even in high school today saying, you know, I, I get this sense, I want to go somewhere. Or maybe you're in college. Or maybe you're, the kids are out of the house these are questions we need to seek God with. Or maybe, maybe God, you're saying, God, are you, are you calling me to be a worship leader someday? Because I'm toying around with the instruments and I love it. Show me, Lord. Or, or God, are you going to call me to, to be a teacher in our God's Kids or Kids in Motion program? Because that's what you're calling. I'm going to do what it takes to learn how to teach children. I'm not going to let, oh, I don't know how to do this. Hold me back. I want you and I want to do what you want. And we can go on and on about seeking how God would want to use us here in Good News, at our home, in our homes, in our, in our schools, at our, at our jobs. God has you where you are at for a reason. And the Holy Spirit wants to glorify Christ and exalt Him through you. And are you seeking, saying, God, how will you do that through me? 
May we hunger for God. See, this church in Antioch was driven to worship the Lord. There's a few things I want to state about worship here. Worship is not something we come to. We, we don't come to worship. We come to worship God. See, the first happens when we arrive. The second happens when God's exalted. And let's remember, when we come to church, we're not coming to church as in it happens when we arrive. No, we are the church. And we come together to worship God. And that's what they came together. It says to worshiping the Lord. And let all of us pull out of our vocabulary or this understanding that we have worshipped God because we were present. Worship is an action. And God is the object of our worship. It's like going to the gym. Will you come home and say, I went to the gym today, but I didn't lift a weight. I didn't run. In fact, I, I kept my street clothes on. But I went to the gym today. That's not, that's not, when you say you go to the gym, it's implied that you worked out. And we, we use that language, with, oh, I went to worship. But coming to worship didn't happen unless you're saying and implying that you worshiped God. That's what God wants of us, is to worship Him like they did in Antioch. And it was in that time of worship that the Spirit spoke to them. But it was also in a time of prayer. As I mentioned last week, prayer is a posture of our hearts. It's a posture that says, God, I'm dependent upon you. I need you right now. I cannot proceed without you. God, I want to give you praise in my prayers. It has a Godward focus. And that's what they had. They worshipped, they prayed, and they fasted. They fasted. You know what the greatest hindrance to fasting is? Food. Stand on any major intersection in the city of Chicago, and I bet that there is in Aisha a place where you can get food. If it's a gas station, they sell food at a gas station. Maybe it's a Walgreens or a CVS or a grocery store or a fast food chain or a restaurant. Our culture tells us to eat. Which is why fasting is so hard. Now you find in the scriptures various reasons for fasting. But in some I'll say this. In eating, food can consume us as we consume it. But in fasting, God consumes us as we consume Him. That's what fasting is about. Saying, God, I want you more than food. And food is a necessity. But God... You are a necessity. We see different reasons for fasting in Scripture. Fasting because of sorrow, fighting sin, repentance, fasting to seek God, fasting as an expression of our hunger for Him. I think of Daniel 9. When Daniel fasts on behalf of the nation and their sin, he's, he's grieving their sin. You ever fast out of grief for the sin of our nation? Daniel says in chapter 9, verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. His grief over the sin of the people of God 
led him to fast and mourn. We see fasting in scriptures seeking God's protection. Ezra fasted before they went on a journey from Babylon to Israel. Esther asked people to fast before she went and talked to the king. Protection. We see in Nehemiah how Nehemiah fasts when he was sorrowed by hearing that the walls of Israel were torn down. We see in Acts 14 how they fast when choosing their leaders. There are many reasons to fast. Fast to break the chains of sin. And if you are, you are bound by a sin today, if you feel enslaved, cry out to God in fasting. Say, Lord, help me. The church in Antioch cried out in fasting, seeking God's direction. That was the reason for their fast. When we fast, the hunger pains in our stomach say, God, I hunger for you the same way. Though I am weak, you are strong through me. Use me, Lord, as you wish. Then I'm struck again by the church in Antioch, how they said, God, when you tell us, we're going to obey. They responded to God's leading. So as we cry out to God as individuals and as a church saying, God, how will you use us to exalt Jesus and advance your kingdom? Are we ready to say, God, I will do that? Our answer reflects our hunger. If we hunger for God and for his will, we will walk in obedience to it. My prayer is that we would be able to be a discerning people as well. Ready to hear from God and to be led by Him in all things. I pray that we would hunger, Good News Bible Church. And I pray that 30, 50, 75 years from now, it would be said of us that we hungered for God and that God spoke to us and that we responded obediently, sending out missionaries, planting new churches, raising up leaders, testifying about them in our homes and in our jobs. How hungry are you today? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you, God, that that you want to use us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit wants to exalt Christ through us.